What is up, Kangaroo Chasers? Season 3 of the pod is here. It's going to be bigger and better than ever. We're excited. It's the off-season for the NRL. It's almost the off-season for Super League at the time of recording. I'm actually recording on uh, Super League Grand Final Eve. should call it the M62 League, actually. But, yeah, Grand Final Eve, Wiggins and Helens. Uh, I don't know what the result will be. But by the time this one is released, there will be a result. And, uh, yeah, I'm hoping it's St. Helens as a St. Helens fan. Uh, guys, this is episode 90 of Chasing Kangaroos. I'm Michael Carboni. Hit it, Mercho. You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos, the rugby league podcast for fans who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places. We had uh, we had four or five weeks there, NRL Grand Final and State of Origin, where we took a little bit of a break. Plenty happened in the world of rugby league. A very big thing happened. Toronto Wolfpack went down, uh, or were not readmitted to Super League. A lot of other things happened as well. So I've got an interview lined up. Oh, I've actually recorded the interview. You guys will hear it next week. It's Andrew Dixon, uh, back rower of the Toronto Wolfpack, or, or formerly, I should say now, I suppose. He was there from day one, from 2017. He's one of the original Wolfpack uh, squad members. Uh, we had a great conversation. Um, we let it sort of let it go a few weeks after the announcement was made, let the emotions settle in, and then and then we had the chat and um, some good good honest conversation. Uh, we spoke about the Wolfpack, his time there. We spoke about his thoughts on Canadian rugby league, whether it's dead or not, uh, and what can be done in the future. And um, I really enjoyed the chat, and big thanks to Andrew Dixon, and you guys can hear that next week. But what I wanted to do this week was, because, like I said at the top, we've had a few weeks off, a uh, month or so off from the podcast, wanted to do an Ask Carbs. So every now and then I do have an Ask Carbs episode. I get you guys via social media to ask me some questions, and I get a lot of questions during the week via the DMs as well, so I add a few of those in there too. Um, if you didn't get a chance to ask a question and you're not following us, make sure you do. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, you can find us at Chasing Ruse. Uh, and on Twitter, you can find me at Chasing Ruse Pod. You can also find The Biggest Tiger at Biggest Tiger uh, if you want to have a chat to the nicest man on Rugby League Twitter as well. All right, guys, let's get cracking with some questions. And we're going to start with, obviously, the Wolfpack. It's the biggest story of the last few weeks. Um, we had a bunch of questions at Rod underscore RZD is a sacking of the Wolfpack a big step backwards for growth uh, at Joey does physio how big of an impact does the Toronto Wolfpack elimination have on Canadian Rugby League uh, at RL Modern Day Prince thoughts on Super League excluding Toronto for 2021 it goes on and on and on I had dozens of questions exactly in that manner and um, the answer is it has a huge impact it's a huge step backwards uh, for growth of the game um, we're going to get team number 12 um, coming uh, announced soon, if, if not already by the time this is released. I don't think it will be announced, but, um, you know, we could get Toulouse as team number 12. We could get London as team number 12, and I'm hoping it's one of those two for the sake of expansion. I think the French derby would be great. I think uh, a club in the capital would be great, but um, it, it kind of looks like it's going to be like a Bradford, in my opinion. I feel like I feel like the criteria is written... Uh, in favour of a, of a Bradford, um, you know they're kind of 
the, you know, if they they may as well have said club must start with B and end with Radford. You know, it's it's pretty ridiculous. But look, I could be wrong. It may not be Bradford. And look, nothing against Bradford. I think they're a great club, and you know they've got a great history in our sport. But to to kick out Toronto and replace them with Bradford, it's it's a step backwards for mine. If that's the case, um, how big of an impact does it have on on Canadian rugby league? Well, it's massive because there's a there's a lot of good people on the ground in Canada, and they were really starting. The, the seeds were growing; they were really starting to gain some mo- momentum. And having like the Wolfpack at the top of that funnel, like having a club that the kids, you know, the juniors could one day aspire to play for, that's massive, you know. And we're starting to get some more junior clubs and some development happening over there and all the regions, you know, even as far out as BC Rugby League, you know, they were looking towards the Wolfpack and saying, okay, and looking at Ottawa coming through and saying, okay, you know, there's there's a professional future for Canadians in our sport. There's, we need to provide that pipeline. Um, the the good people are still on the ground. So none of those guys, none of the guys involved in, you know, in the sport at junior levels and on grassroots levels and building that up, they're still there. There's a few of them. They're still there. It's just going to be a lot harder for those people, you know, without the Wolfpack, I believe. Um, and... I'm a person that spoke often about the potential of Canadian Rugby League. I often have said on this podcast that in 10, 20, or maybe 20 years' time, that Canada could be a force. They could be one of the, the, the big nations in our sport. This kind of sets that back off a little bit. It's less likely that that will happen in 20 years' time now. Um, so I think that's a real shame. What, what I would have done differently, like, I, I think the big... The big thing about this is like the clubs voted, and I say a little. I mentioned this in our chat, my chat with Andrew Dixon next week, which you guys will hear next week. But the the clubs voting, I don't, I don't begrudge some like the Wakefields and the Salfords and the Castlefords for voting against Toronto, because at the end of the day, they're looking at the Torontos of the world, they're looking at the Ottawa, they're looking at New York a little bit further further beyond, and thinking these guys are going to squeeze us out. These are big cities, big international cities. They're going to squeeze us out. So they're voting, you know, for their own short-term gain, which you understand that, um, which is exactly why they shouldn't have been the ones voting on this decision. You know, like Wakefield shouldn't be telling us they don't want Toronto. Of course they don't want Toronto. They want they want to be in the Super League. Uh, they want to stay there for as long as they can. They're looking after themselves for the next 12, 24, 36 months. They're not thinking about the global growth of our sport. And the decision should not have been put in their hands. Like I said at the start, hats off to uh, St. Helens, Leeds, Catalans for having the foresight to, you know, looking at the big picture. And perhaps they could do that because, you know, they're pretty safe in comparison to some of those other clubs in terms of longevity, and which is why I'm surprised Wigan actually didn't vote in favour of the Wolfpack as well. Um, not to say that, like, and let's be honest too, I'm not saying, I haven't seen Carlo Lavosi's plan, right? It could have been absolute rat shit. Um, but what what I would have done if I was Rob Elston or if I was in his position is I would have went back... you got to go all the way back to when um, David Argyle first reached out for help, right? When COVID sort of started kicking off and we weren't sure if we were going to get a season or not. 
So you've got to remember, to this point, the wolf pack never put their hand out and said, hey, we need help. They always they, they were pumping money in, flying teams across. They, you know, they were doing anything on the, everything on their own. They never asked for a cent from Super League or the RFL until they did. Until they did, I think it was March, April when COVID hit and we weren't sure what was going on and the borders were closed and the Wolfpack were facing no home games and a whole season in the UK. Uh, David Argyle, his personal wealth may have been sort of at risk because of COVID. You know, his business interests outside of rugby league um, obviously, you know, diminished because of the COVID pandemic. So all of a sudden he's put his hand out. He said he's gone to Super League and said, "Look, we need 200k. We need 200,000 pounds um, to be able to commit to this season." And that's when it all turned pear shaped because for Super League, for the clubs, having Toronto there meant they had some extra money because one of the 12 clubs wasn't getting central funding, so they could share it around themselves. Having Toronto there was good for their back pocket in the short term, but until it wasn't, and that's when it started to go pear shaped. What Rob Elston should have done at that point is sat down with David Argyle and sat down with the Wolfpack and said, all right, what's the plan? What do we do from here? Because you guys are important. Toronto is an important pin on the map. It's important for the future of our sport, not only Super League, but International Rugby League. So what do we do together to make sure this works? He didn't do that. He said, well, no, we're not giving you that. And then it became a a dick measuring contest, sorry to say. David Argyle said, well, if you don't give us the money, we can't play. Elston said, well, if you can't play, you're out, blah, 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 blah. Toronto, Toronto end up sitting out. They end up pulling out of the season, and, and that's where all of this started. But in my opinion, what I would have done back then, if I was in that position, if I was Rob, if I was in charge of Super League, I would have said, all right, Toronto, here's your 200K. All right? We need to find the money. We, we, we've got a $16 million loan from the government. It's a loan, so it's not, a, it's not you know, we've got to pay it back, But and you guys can pay us back, but we want to make sure that the players get paid for this season, or at least, you know, they get some of their money for this season because our player welfare is very important to us. So let's make sure that happens first. Here's the 200 k As for Toronto playing out the rest of the season or not, that's up to you guys. But if you don't, that's fine. And what we're going to do is... We're going to keep you out of 2021 as well because, you know, that can be seen as maybe a punishment. We can play it up as a punishment in the media. But the real reason behind that is COVID's still going to be around next year, especially for the first half. And there may be some issues with travel and it's going to be tough for you guys to play home games next year. So take 2021 out. You're out for 2021, but you come back in 2022. Similar to what Ottawa Aces have done. They pulled out of the um, the League One season for 2021 because they know how difficult it's going to be to travel potentially. So they've done that. And and you look at here in Australia as well, in our competitions, you know, uh, PNG Hunters, they're going to be basing themselves in Queensland all of next year. Cavite Silktails, they're going to be basing themselves in New South Wales all of next year. Uh, in our Queensland Cup and, and, and our and our lower lower divisions, our New South Wales Cup. So they've put those measures in place. Ottawa on, on the in the Northern Hemisphere, they've said, look, we're going to sit out. I would have done the same with Toronto. You're out for 2021. Build a strong squad for 2022 and know that you've got a place in the Super League. Uh, you can come back. That's not a problem. What Super League should have done from that point is start to plan out their next couple of seasons, start to map it out, knowing that they have to negotiate 
a TV deal with Sky or whoever else, right? So one of the things that Toronto wanted was um, a piece of the pie, a piece of the central funding. They never got that. Instead, Super League and RFL said to them, well, you guys can get your own central funding from Canada, from Canadian uh, media. And that seems like a great... When you look at that on the surface, that seems like a great opportunity because there's much more money in North American media than there might be in the UK. But what the Wolfpack didn't realise, and I don't, I'm not suggesting that the wall was pulled over their eyes, but Sky Sport already owned the rights to the sport in Canada and they weren't showing it anywhere or they weren't on-selling it anywhere, but it was theirs. It wasn't up to the Toronto to buy and sell and whatever. So, you know, they were sort of... I feel like I would have felt a bit hard done by in that deal if I was if I was the Wolfpack. But if you give Toronto central funding, then you say, all right, well, you have central funding, but it's our rights now to buy and sell, and the Sky deal is ending soon, so let's start to build a competition that we can sell to Sky or someone else, or we can break up into pieces and sell elsewhere. So what I would have done there, so Toronto's out for 2021, we need to bring a 12th team in. That team would have been London straight off the bat. Right, they were the latest in the Super League. We want a team in the capital, and we want to build some momentum around London, make them strong, grow rugby league in the south. All right, so London would have been Team Twelve for twenty twenty one for me, straight off the bat, no questions asked. That's it. Twenty twenty two, we're growing to fourteen teams. That would have been the decision, growing to fourteen teams. Toronto Wolfpack is back, and Toulouse come in as well. There's still promotion and relegation, so your Bradfords and your Yorks and all those clubs, they can still come up and down with you know, the, the Wakefields and the Castlefords and whatever, right? But 14 teams, including London, Toronto, and Toulouse. Then we're negotiating. We know that's happening two years in advance. We know that's happening. We're at the negotiating table with Sky and whoever else. And we're saying we've got, we're going to have a 14-team league in 2022. We're going to have a team in the capital. We're going to have a French derby. We're going to have a team in Toronto. What are, you buy? what are you paying for that? Who else wants to buy that? Can we sell it separately in France? Can we sell it separately in Canada, North America, knowing that Ottawa's coming in as well? Can we unbundle Championship and League One and sell that separately to a provider that will actually show games on TV or, or stream games? What can we do? And that's what I would have done if I was a Super League. That's what I, what I would have done all the way back in April. As soon as David Argyle came and said, hey, guys, we need help. We actually need help now. We've, we've been here for three, four years. We've brought all this exposure and we've brought all these new fans to the sport. We need help now. Can you give it to us? That's exactly what I would have done. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers the questions. That was actually longer than I expected, but we got there. We got there in the end. Um, so, uh, at DB, uh, DBRETCHTA, sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly, Similar vein with the Wolfpack, uh, with the Wolfpack out of Super League, what do you think the future holds for Ottawa and New York Rugby League? Uh, also considering that Ottawa delayed that, their start by a year. Um, yeah, look, I'd be questioning it, right? If I'm Eric Perez or, or, um, from Ottawa, then I'm thinking, well, what chances do we have if the Wolfpack are out? You'd think they'd have a little bit more of a chance because they own a license. Uh, they own an RFL license, so they, they'd be liking that. And I think Eric, you know, he's a visionary. He's kind of looking at, you know, we've spoken to him in the past, and I feel like he's looking at, okay, let's let's learn from the mistakes that Toronto have made. Um, and I think he'd, he, I think in his mind, he thinks there'd be a chance to make it up to Super League one day, and I think they will continue that. 
I kind of think um, I kind of think Ottawa. It almost makes more sense for them to try get into the French league, to be honest with you, rather than the English pyramid. But I guess the English pyramid is stronger at the moment. But that's just a thought that I've been playing around with in my head for a little while. As for New York, same thing. They're not as far down the track, but New York, you know, um, they must be thinking the same sort of thing. Is it worthwhile us doing this? Are we going to shell out all this money? Are our investors going to want to buy in to an idea that's not going to have a chance because those at the top aren't going to allow it? And they must be thinking, what else can we do? So uh, I guess that's that's how I'd be looking at it anyway. Uh, at Lambretta wants to know, should the NRL buy and fully fund Toronto's entry into the Super League, taking none of their TV money to guarantee their entry? Um, <laughs> a lot of people say this, like, can the NRL do this? Can the NRL do that? Can the NRL save the day? At the end of the day, the NRL just wants to make money. Um, pumping money into Toronto, while it could it could eventually pay off, uh, and while it would be good for the, the game's growth and development worldwide, I can't see the NRL making that investment. Um, it would be nice, but I can't see the NRL making that investment, mate, unfortunately. Uh, at Podia, seeing as England can't be stuffed, should the NRL take a greater interest in fostering the game in New Horizons? England greatly stuffed up a chance to do it with Toronto, which ironically will most likely help kill the game in England. Similar question as well. We had another question as well at Mohit. Uh, what, um, no, sorry, at Henry Lamar. Uh, should the NRL look to buy the Super League? So I'll try and answer those both. Like, the NRL, like, they can't do it all. They're not the International Rugby League, and the International Rugby League can't do it all either. We don't have unlimited dollars um in our in in our kitty and the NRL does a great job in Australia or in in on the eastern seaboard of Australia um and they've got they're opening up pathways in the pacific which is great uh, that's kind of what they're doing for international rugby league at the moment you know opening up those PNG Fiji Tonga Samoa New Zealand pathways um for them to invest in super league they need to know a they're going to be able to get it cheap and B, they're going to be able to make money from day one. That's what they'd be looking into. They're not looking at they're not looking at this as an opportunity to, like, save the game and grow the game around the world. That's not what they're doing. They're looking at it as an opportunity to invest and make money. And while they're at it, they'll probably own the world of rugby league because they've got the best two. They own the best two competitions. Um, I don't think it will happen. Although we are hearing whispers and it has made press, so. The conversations are happening. I just don't think it will happen. Uh, if it did, there's a lot of negatives, a lot of positives. Probably more positives than negatives, I think. It's probably a whole nother podcast and a whole nother conversation. Um, could be quite interesting if it did happen. But at this stage, I think it's just talk. Uh, I think they're just looking into it. And unless they can buy it for, for like cents on the dollar and then make a shitload of money out of it, um, yeah, some good opportunities though if they did. But yeah, anyway, we'll see what happens. Let's move away from the uh, the Toronto questions because, as I said, we've um, I think I've exhausted that. I think there's been plenty of that on the socials and other podcasts as well. Go listen to the Howling Hour podcast. Um, really good insight there from people involved in the day to day running of the club. So go listen to their last few episodes. Rob Cardno doing a great job. Uh, but that's my two cents. Uh, guys, uh, let's move on to some other questions. At Alan Taylor wants to know, what's the state of play with the Euro 13s? They've gone quiet in the Twitterverse. Would like to hear an update. Uh, yeah, Euro 13s, latest I've heard, 
which is public knowledge. Um, and I think I mentioned this last Ask Carbs episode. But yeah, last I heard was they've obviously delayed their 2021 year. It was going to be eight, was it eight clubs or 16 clubs? Uh, and it was an, and 16 clubs, I think. And there was a knockout competition over four weeks. They've delayed that to 2022 start and they've expanded that out. So now it's group stages rather than knockout. So each team gets um, some more games. That's all I've heard. That's the last thing they've heard. And it's, Alan, probably the last thing you've heard as well. That's when they started going quiet again on the Twitterverse. Um, probably expect to hear more in the new year, I'd suggest. Uh, I have no inside knowledge on that, um, but I'm sure we'll hear more soon. Um, and, yeah, hopefully they can make it happen in 2022, see what happens. Um at Chris Reed, who you got for El Salvador versus Peru? <laughs> I love this, Chris. We um, and Chris knows who I've got because he and I both sit on the El Salvador uh, steering committee, so he knows I've got El Salvador for this one. Uh, sorry to Jamie Perez, who we've had on the show from Peru, mate. Uh, sorry, mate. I've got to go with El Salvador. Um, but yeah, this is massive. So El Salvador playing Peru uh, for one of the first international rugby league games next year, unofficially sanctioned, obviously, because both teams not quite uh not quite affiliated status yet um with the IRL although they are both working towards that but it's going to be a lot of fun out at Campbelltown uh in February I might have that wrong it might be March I should know this uh, check our socials um but next year I'll be there uh, so we should all go out and support these these growing nations of rugby league and what they're doing, what their heritage guys are doing over here, and how they can support uh, start up of their sport of our sport in their countries as well. So that's going to be fantastic. Um, El Salvador versus Peru. And thanks for the question, Chris. Uh, at Ben Howard wants to know what incentives, and this actually relates to this. I think this question actually relates to the El Salvador Peru game being played in Southwest Sydney instead of in El Salvador or Peru. Ben Howard wants to know, what incentives would you put in place for test matches to be played at home rather than neutral venues like Australia? That's a freaking great question as well, Ben. Um, And I think, like, I understand where the question's coming from, and I know it's probably related to that El Salvador Peru game being played in Southwest Sydney. We can't... There can't be a blanket response to this question. It needs to be individually tailored to, to each nation and each, each match. So I'll use... Like, at the end of the day, I want nations playing in their nations, right? And, and the best example for me is um, the um, the Oceania Cup, right? Like, if Fiji's playing Papua New Guinea, I want, I want them playing in Suva or Port Moresby as opposed to Campbelltown or Leichhardt or Brisbane, right? Like, that needs... To, that, like, imagine... Imagine Mike Acevo, Kamakamika... Like, imagine those guys playing in front of a packed house in Suva, in Fiji. Like, it would be freaking amazing. As if there's not money to be made there. As if there's not excitement there. As if that doesn't grow the game. Um, but it's obviously easier financially. And in the, again, it's a short-term thing. It's easier to be playing in, in, in Camden, in Campbelltown. Um, games like that, I don't know if it's an incentive. I, I think they'd want to play there. I think Fiji Rugby League would want to play in Suva. I know Papua New Guinea want to play in Port Moresby. I'm sure Tongan Rugby League would love to play in Tonga. But I think the incentive's always going to be money. Um, and it's not about incentive. It's about the NRL and the IRL in these cases 
saying, all right, we're going to make a push for the game in these areas. We're opening up pathways into the NRL. We want to grow international rugby league in these areas. And um, we're going to make an effort, an effort over the next three, four, five years to take games there, grow the sport there, and grow, grow, you know, commercial opportunities for games like this in those areas. That's what we need to do there. In the case of El Salvador versus Peru, uh, Ben, like these nations, in terms of domestic activity, it's very little. So Peru, you know, they sort of got started. They had a couple of training sessions, club sort of being formed. COVID hit. It's on pause. El Salvador, you know, I can say there's a bit going on. Uh, there's a few people over there on the ground who are training players and having training sessions in universities in certain towns. But there really isn't domestic activity on a club scale as of yet. It's all very early days. So in that instance you got to have El Salvador heritage players playing Peru, Peruvian heritage players where they, where they live, you know, which in this case, southwestern Sydney, there's a lot, there's a big contingent in New South Wales, big contingent in Queensland uh, for both of those heritage groups. they got to play here. they got to play here. they got to uh, earn a little bit of coin, make a little bit of money from these games because a lot of that money goes back. Uh, and I do, I can share, especially, like like I said earlier, on the El Salvador Steering Committee, you know, a lot of the money that we fundraise, you know, it does go back to uh, helping support domestic activity in El Salvador. It's very little. It's not a lot of money, uh, which is why these games are important. Um, and then you look, you look as well, Ben. Again, like I say, every every group's different. Uh, Brazil is a fantastic example uh, of the Australian-based heritage side and the domestic guys working really well together. And they had an agreement, or they had an understanding that they would play one international in Brazil, followed by one international in Australia, and they would alternate that. Reason being is they want to get uh, activity uh, for all of their players, heritage and domestic, uh, so that they can build up to a strong international team. And one day, for the men, a World Cup. For the women, they're already there, so they need to play as much as they can uh, in the lead-up, COVID permitting, of course. Um, also for ranking and points, it's important that they get games happening. And, and that's why, yeah, Brazil played their last game in Australia. Their next game will be uh, February, like I think it's against Uruguay. Uh, they'll be playing in Australia as well. Um, but their next match was meant to be in Brazil. But because Brazil has been horrendously affected by COVID, so the two parties agreed, hey, let's, well, let's, take a, let's, let's play the next game in Australia for our points and so that our players can get a go. Um, they might try and get some Brazilian domestic players over here for that as well. So it's going to be different for every nation, Ben. Um, some nations could be taking games to their country. Some nations could be doing it better than others, easier than others. How can we incentivize it? I feel like money is the incentive. Um, if growing your sport is not enough of an incentive, then it's, it comes down to the dollars. And if the dollars aren't there, it's difficult. But it is a conversation we should be continuing to have because it's an important one. All right, what else have we got? At Mohit, he wants to know, what are the chances of a Pacific team or an additional New Zealand team in an expanded NRL? All right, additional Pacific team? No chance. It's not going to happen. Not in the near future anyway. Uh, commercially, just not viable. Um, but what we will see, I don't think it's important to have... I don't think we need... I'll use Fiji as an example again. I don't think we need a Suva a, a Suva team 
or a Fijian team a Cavite Silktails in the NRL. We need a Cavite Silktails in the lower grades, opening up a pathway for the best Fijian domestic players in their domestic competition, get the very best of them. They're at Cavite Silktails, they're opening up a pathway, they're training with the best facilities, and they're coming up into the NRL. And we're going to see Fijians flooding the NRL. Same thing with PNG Hunters. Um, and we can do it with other other islands as well. So I think that's the way to go with the Pacific teams. Uh, as for a second New Zealand team, probably not next on the agenda. It seems like Brisbane 2 is next on the agenda. I would suggest that like a New Zealand 2 or a Western Australian team is would be after that. Uh, who knows when. We've been talking about expansion for a long, long, long time without anything really happening in the NRL. Um, I feel like pre-COVID, Brisbane 2 was a real chance. We spoke to Brisbane Bombers on a podcast earlier as well. Go check that out if you like, if you haven't heard it yet. We'll go hear it again. Uh, Brisbane 2 is a chance because commercially it makes sense. Uh, Channel 9 wants two, two games a week with Brisbane teams. Uh, and they want the NRL wants one game a week in Brisbane. Um, so, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, look, I personally, next on my list would be New Zealand too. Probably a Christchurch team, like a like a Canterbury team. So that would be my opinion. Uh, but what are the chances? Better than a Pacific team anyway. That's in terms of chances. So, yeah, thanks for the question. All right. What else have we got here? More questions, more questions. At Sam Webb, would you like to see more Irish lads playing in the NRL? Of course I would. We, all, we had Ronan Michael over here in the Canberra system last year. Didn't quite get his shot. Or last season, I should say. Didn't quite get his shot. If there's more of him, bring him over. Get him through the grades. Let him have a crack. And if, if they're good enough, they're good enough. Get him in. I want to see people from all over the place in the NRL. Um, it would be great. Uh, at Hypothetic Rugby League Podcast. How you doing, buddy? Which two teams that have never met would you most like to see a game between? Oh my goodness. I need to think about that. That's a cracking question. I'm assuming I'm assuming he's talking from an from an international perspective. It's hard. There's probably a lot of combinations here. I was really looking forward to and this is gonna sound weird, I was looking forward to the Netherlands versus Turkey, which is gonna be in the Euros, in the Euro D um, this year, which was called off after due to COVID. And it's and and that's just an example, right, of a matchup that if you told someone it was happening, they'd go, "What are you talking about? Are you talking about rugby league? No way!" Uh, and we've never seen it before, so there's probably plenty like that, mate. And um, off the top of my head, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, at Masquerade Browns, want to know uh, when do you think the next rugby league World Cup Nines tournament should be held and where? Um, I like the idea of it happening every four years. We had it last. Uh, we had it in 2018. 2018. We had it in 2019. Sorry, I was there. It was fantastic. Uh, I like the idea of having it every four years, um, uh, with some domestic nines tournaments happening all over the place as well, and and some um, and having like a Oceana nines and a MEA nines and, a, and an American nines and a Euro nines happening in between those World Cups as qualifiers. I, I think that's the way I'd do it. I'd have it so the next one for me would be in 2023. Um, you'd probably have to have it in the UK or something like that because the last one was in Australia. But I'd be bold and have it in Canada. To be honest with you, I'd love to. I, I reckon it would be cool to see it in Toronto. Uh, so I'd have it in 2023 in Toronto. 
Uh, I think it's a good tool for expansion, and we should be using it. Uh, and look, I think it's on the cards to to be using it. The 2019 was a success. It was a great product on the field. IRL were big fans of it. Uh, even if individually they weren't going into it, they were a bit skeptical. By the end of it, they were definitely fans of it, and it's something that they want to see happening more of. So, great question. Uh, speaking of mascot Browns, at Billy. He wants to know, what's the go with Mascot Browns? I heard they're closing down. <laughs> um, they're not. They're not closing down. I know. Um, I do know that. Uh, so, obviously, Steve and Phil, uh, Steve Mascot and Phil Brown, Mascot Browns, good friends of the show. They've been supporters of the show, of this podcast, for a long, long, long time. And we have them. Um, parting ways. So, Steve's exiting the business. Uh, he was running the UK. Phil running Australia. Steve exiting, I think, December 5, which is very soon by the time this is released. Uh, but they'll still be sort of going in some capacity. I know Phil is keen to continue at some capacity, whether it's still called Mascot Browns or not, I don't know. But uh, don't fear, Rugby League fans, it's not a 2020 casualty. Mascot Browns, whatever it's called, or some reincarnation of it, will still be around. Um, I know that for sure. All right. At Kelly Barris. Oh, Kerry Barris. Sorry, sorry, Kerry. Uh, if logistically possible, should NRL teams be allowed to play the Challenge Cup? Oof. Look, last time they did this, so like um, the Super League, and I mean the Australian Super League, 1997, that year, there was like a massive Challenge Cup with NRL teams and, um, su- uh, with, not NRL, with Super League Australia and Super League UK teams. It was embarrassing. Um, the Australian teams were like putting like Red Star Belgrade level scores on, on the English clubs. It was embarrassing, and it really showed the difference in in class between the two the two competitions. It's sort of where, like before that, you know, I think the competition over there was held in a little more higher regard from your, your, your typical or your average Aussie fans, and now it's like your average Aussie fan kind of sees Super League as a joke. I'm not saying it is. Oh, I love watching Super League. Or the M62 League, I do enjoy it. Although they make some shitty decisions. Um, but your average Australian Rugby League fan, your average NRL fan today, sort of would view Super League as a little bit of a joke. Um, unfortunately, that's just the truth. Um, and that's why I think it stems back from this 97 season. In saying that, it would be cool to... It would be cool to have, like... If, say, South Sydney one year decided they wanted to take part, it would be cool to see that happen. Uh, it would be very difficult logistically and the way the season's run. I can't see it happening. Um, but, like, yeah, it would be interesting. Um, they'd Whichever NL team entered, they'd probably win it. But, yeah. Oh, they'd come... You know, Saints would come close. Wigan will come close. Um, at Andrew Ferguson... <laughs> I'm just reading this one before I read it out loud. I love this one, Andy. Uh, should the best player from the Germany versus Netherlands game earlier this year be awarded uh, the golden boot in an effort to show that it is actually awarded to the best international player for the year and not just the best player from Pacific UK? Um, I love this. There was a lot of talk about this one on Twitter, uh, which is why Andrew's asking it. It's a good one. I think um, Andrew spoke about it on his podcast as well, Fergo and the, and the Freaks, so go have a listen to that. Um, so the, the man would be, uh, Joran Schoenmaker, Schoenmaker, who we've had on the podcast. Uh, go back and listen to that Griffin Cup 
2020 episode with Joran and Matt Rigby from Netherlands Rugby League. But Joran was the man of the match from, from that game, and I've joked on Twitter that he should be awarded the Golden Boot this year uh, because, you know, tip, technically, he's, you know, he, he's been the best player on an international level. And um, I, I know the International Rugby League, the IRL, have said that they're not going to... Uh, have an award this year because of the lack of international rugby league um, and I understand that as well I certainly understand that but I would love to see some sort of acknowledgement made to Yoren, uh for this whether it's a golden boot or whether it's something else or whether it's a golden boot with an asterisk you know one game played this season simply because like it just would be a great news item um, it would be Good, good news will be good press. Some people would probably talk negatively about it, and that's fine too. Any press is good press. But just, I think, if people saw, holy shit, the only international game for rugby league this year was between Germany and the Netherlands. Like, I just think that can, like, having that out in the press positively can only be a good thing. And um, I do think it's a missed opportunity for the IRL to not do something with this. And, um, yeah, but... They still might. They still might. We'll see what happens. Uh, at Ben Baltica, which European comp is most advanced in terms of playing numbers and skill level? Um, I'm guessing. I'm guessing Ben means below like UK and French sort of leagues. Uh, and if that's the case, the answer would be Serbia. Serbia in terms of their clubs, like especially Red Star, Partizan, even like Dorku Tikorove, like they've got a lot of playing numbers. Diminished a little bit from COVID this year. This tricky to get around and they've had starts and stops but typically um, Serbia would, would probably be considered the strongest in terms of playing numbers and skill levels um, at B Fozzy Billy how you going buddy uh, do you think Wales can ever be a superpower in rugby league and if not why well, I like how you've gone negative mate if not why I'm going to say they can be um, they've been strong in, in the other rugby in rugby union and Back in 1995, I really thought it was the start of something special for Wales. I was putting together a good squad, and before Rugby Union went potential, I thought there was a lot of potential for Wales to be a superpower. I don't think they'll... It's going to be hard for them to be top top two or three, but I think they can be up there. Like, I, I think they could... You know, there's a lot of... There is development happening. Um, in terms of the other Celtic, in terms of the Celtic nations, they're probably the furthest the furthest along. And in terms of competition for England, like in in Europe, like it's France and Wales, which are would like we could progress quicker than any others. I think there's potential there. Maybe I'm just being overly positive or overly ambitious, but mate, I think they can be. So keep it up and keep doing the work that you're doing over there, mate, because it's people like you that are going to make help make them a superpower in rugby league. Um, at <laughs> at Dragon Supporters, uh, which club mascot would win a fight against other club, all other club mascots in a fight club seeded tennis style championship in a fight? Um, that's obvious, mate. Happy Dragon, the Happy Dragon would kick ass, unbeatable. Um, the Wolfpack one as well. What's his name? He'd be all right too. He looks pretty mean. He looks pretty tough. Uh, at Daniel Watson Hayes, Super League have declared the World Club Challenge will go ahead in 2021 
uh, with Super League season starting later next year, would Super League premiers be willing to fly to Australia like Wigan did in 2014 and Leeds in 2018 to partake in the match? Can we get clarity on this? Um, I don't know if there's any going to be any clarity anytime soon. Personally, I don't think the World Club Challenge will happen next year, Dan, um, which is a shame. But I just that'll be a casualty of COVID. I can't see it happening. Uh, I can't see the storm going over there. Uh, so it'll be up to Saints and Wigan to maybe come over here if it was to happen. Uh, and as always, like World Club Challenge, they don't even start talking about it uh, until after the grand finals, which, you know, as I said earlier, recording this pre-Super League grand final to be released post-Super League grand final. But um, it'll be up to the, the Storm and either Saints or, or Wigan to, to discuss that, and we'll see what happens. Um, I'm going to go one more, then I'm going to take a break, because I, I, I'm, I'm conscious this might be a long one, but I'm going to take a break and then come back and answer more of your questions because I'm having a lot of fun and there's been so many. I'm going to try and get through as many as I can. So so let's go one more. So oh, what's this? At, at Fonzie's Warriors, could there be a business case for the NRL to fund and run <laughs> fund and run a Super League team in London? Would give them a presence there to tap into the expat market in the UK and cross-sell NRL TV rights? Again, it's similar to like the NRL funding Wolfpack. You know, should the NRL buy Super League? Should they fund a team in London? It's not... Yeah, like, the NRL, they're not going to spend, like, $20 million a season to fund a team in London. Let's be honest, it's going to take a lot of money. Look at the Storm, look at the Wolfpack. It's going to take a lot of money. The NRL hasn't got that sort of money to burn, uh, even if in the long term it could it could prove to be rewarding, and it would be great for the game uh, at an international level or in a development level. I don't think there's a case for the, uh, the NRL to fund and run a Super League team in London. The interesting point here, though is, you know, tapping into that expat market in the UK and cross-sell NRL TV rights. There is a huge market in the UK, whether it's expat or even rugby league fans in the UK, that do enjoy the NRL. And especially, like, I think there's especially an opportunity here for the Canberra Raiders to do more. So pre-COVID, I kind of said the Raiders should be taking one NRL game to the UK. Um, I still think they should... And logistically, it could be difficult... But I think if once we can, once travel bans are lifted, I, I definitely believe Canberra Raiders in particular should be playing, taking a game to the UK. Uh, I think there's opportunities to sell a lot of merchandise, NRL merchandise to fans in the UK. Uh, and I do think, uh, you know, taking, taking a state of origin game to the UK would prove commercially beneficial, even if it was a fourth game just as a one-off. I think there would be commercial value in that. So uh, should the NRL fund the team in London? No, it's not going to happen. Although it might be a good idea if we if we figure it out, but I don't think it will happen. Uh, but, you know, getting into that NRL, into that UK market, I think there's a lot of potential there. All right, guys, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to, I'm going to stop recording. I'll take a break and I'll be back and I'll answer some more questions uh, on the other side of this. Chasing Kangaroos podcast is supported by Matt Haynes Sport. You've heard the name before, guys. Matt Haynes has been on the show before, all the way back in the marketing episode, which is very popular. Matt Haynes is responsible for some of the greatest logos and jersey designs around the developing world of rugby league clubs and nations alike. He's done some great work. And now he's also a kit supplier. Uh, for some some clubs like Cleveland Rugby League, Monte Gattis out there, and clubs like the Memorial Bears uh, here in New South Wales. So if you are an administrator 
or a player of a club, a nation, anywhere around the world, or you've got a got a tag team or an Oz tag team or a touch team, and you need your jerseys um, supplied, then check out matthaynesport.com. Uh, and when you do place your order or when you do ask for a quote, make sure you mention Chasing Kangaroos in, in the message. Make sure you tell Matt Haynes that you are, like him, a kangaroo chaser. You might find yourself receiving 10% off uh, the final price. So thanks again, MattHaynesSport.com. Check him out. Get your jerseys. Get your logos designed. And uh, make sure you tell him that Chasing Kangaroos sent you. All right, guys and girls, I'm back, and let's uh, let's get a couple more questions before we um, we see this first episode for season three of Chasing Kangaroos out. Uh, so this one's a good one, actually. Came in late from Stuart McLennan, good friend of the show. He said, um, "With countries such as Greece, Jamaica, and Brazil represented at the next World Cup in men's and women's, how do they capitalise on the attention they will receive for a few weeks?" Through activity both before and after the event. Well, well, this is a cracking question, and there'd probably be a lot to unpack here. And that, look, there's no one way of doing things, right? I'm sure, and I'm sure, you know, the Rob Bergens from Brazil, and the Romeo Monteiths from Jamaica, and the George Cilianos's from Greece, they've got their plans. Um, so I don't want to tell them how to suck heads or anything like that. But what? I think the main thing is, and we could spend hours unpacking this as well, but I think the main thing we need to look at here, or the main thing that we need to think about, is exposure and opportunity. All right. So what I mean by that is that these, the news here and the players that are involved at a domestic level from these teams, from Brazil, Jamaica, and Greece, and there are domestic Brazilian women who will be in this Brazilian side. There are a couple of domestic Jamaican players who will be in the Jamaican squad. And there are, we know, at least eight domestic Greek players will be in the Greek squad. We need them to be all over the press, or as much as they can be. So they need to be on local radio. They need to be on in local newspapers. They need to be on local TV. And they need to be pumping social media. They need to be telling people in the lead-up what they're doing and how they're representing their country. And if people aren't aware of rugby league or aren't massive rugby league fans they're going to be fans of the nation that they're from or they live in you know so you if you're jamaican you don't really know much about rugby league but you 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 you're you're cheering on jamaica at any sort of world cup or world sporting event so you want to know about it it's a perfect opportunity to talk about it the press are going to eat it up but you really got to focus on these domestic guys the reason being is you want the next generation you want the kids to be looking at these these guys and girls and saying, oh wow, these people are representing their country at the highest level of this sport. I may not have heard of it before, but I'm going to check it out. And wow, this is pretty cool. I want to play. Where can I play? Um, and what happens next? So that's really important. The, the main thing here is we need to educate the youth in these, in these countries, let them know that the sport is there, give, make sure there are opportunities for them to play the sport, and make sure there are opportunities for them to grow within the sport. Another important thing after the event, these same domestic players that are involved, they need to be going around to the schools. Like they need to be given roles as development officers. This is just one, again, one idea, guys. There's probably hundreds. And this isn't really a marketing idea, this part. But give them roles as development officers. They need to be going around to local schools, getting kids involved. Hey, I played at the World Cup. I represented Greece. I represented Jamaica. I represented Brazil. And you know what? you can too 
can't be what you can't see. Let the kids see there are opportunities in our sport for them to represent their country. Show them the people. Let them talk to the people. Let them train with those people and give them opportunities to take part. I think that's the best thing they can do, Stuart, uh, in a nutshell. All right, what else have we got? Got a few more questions before I... uh, I wish I could just keep answering questions all day long, but unfortunately I can't. What else have we got? We had a few Rugby League World Cup related questions actually outside of that one, so let's let's hit some of those. So Cameron John uh, John Avery, he wants to know, do you think it's fair to have a Rugby League World Cup in 2021 with so little time for athletes to prepare? Um, fair. That's an interesting question. Look, it's it's look, COVID's hard. At the end of the day, we're all affected by it, and some nations affected more than others. Like, for example, I know the Brazil women would have liked more time to prepare, more time to train, more opportunities to play, and they haven't had those, right? Um, I know that there are things, for example, like the English, uh, the Super League um, schedule for next year has just been announced, and it's pretty heavy, and it, it ends just before the World Cup starts. So, you know, they're going to have some tired players, you know what I mean? So, look... The, the thing is, though, it's never exactly fair. You know, you've got a mixture of players at different levels. You've got professional, semi-professional, some amateur players at these, these events as well. So, look, it's never going to be fair, um, 100% fair anyway. But I, I don't. I think, like, it is what it is, and especially in a COVID world. And the 2021 World Cup, you know, I guess there'd still be question marks as to whether it can happen. Um, they're doing the best that they can to make it happen. It's all systems go, and I believe it will happen um, unless something drastically changes. But you'd like to think the world is getting better, and you know we are business as usual. John Dutton and his World Cup team are business as usual. They're announcing you know multi-million dollar sponsorships and things like that. They're selling tickets from all over the world. It's happening, and on the field, fair or not, in that 80 minutes, maybe it won't matter. Um, Joshua Burton at Joshua Burton wants to know which developing nation do you think hosting a World Cup can grow the game the most? It's a cracking question as well. It's look, there's so many ways to answer this question, and it depends on what you call a developing nation, right? Um, because like France might be considered a developing nation, even though they've been around for a long time, they're not quite at that T1. They're still they are developing. I think if you had a World Cup in the south of France in 2025, like that would do wonders for the game. They're the original World Cup. They started the whole thing, you know, in either rugby code. They they were the, it was the first rugby World Cup founded by France, um, and they were big on expansion back then. And I think it would be great to see France hosting a World Cup. It'd be great for the sport there, especially with you know Catalans being successful, Toulouse looking to come up. Uh, and it could give them the boost that they need to develop into a more of a, a T1 sort of nation. Um, if you're talking about more like developing nations, I think I, I always say Canada, and despite what's happened with the Wolfpack, like I think there is so much potential in Canada, and if we can, North America in particular, like it's a real shame that the 2025 World Cup, which was meant to be in North America, sort of fell apart. I mean, there's still a chance it could happen. The The... It hasn't been announced yet, so we don't know where it's going to be. But I just think there's so much potential there. Um, I, and I know, you know, a lot of the African nations, Nigeria and co, they're always uh, mentioning on social media they'd love to be hosting World Cups and things like that. I'm sure that's probably far into the future. But look, there's so many opportunities. We just need to be prepared to think big 
and plan it like actually plan it and map it out there, there are many opportunities and and so many great developing nations who could host a world cup um to grow the game all right what else have we got uh the the miners rugby league club from brazil they want to know um which team are you rooting for in the in the 2021 world cup uh all right i'm gonna i'll say in the women's brazil because of who asked the question we're gonna go for brazil in the women's world cup um look for me to be honest with you i root for anyone other than australia at these things and you hear my accent it sounds weird it sounds wrong but it is what it is we're chasing the kangaroos and i don't care if you know new zealand england tonga i don't care who wins the thing as long as it's not australia i think it's good for the game it would be great to see you know um greece get a win in the men's it would be good to see brazil get a win in the women's would be good to see jamaica uh, I take it game by game, and I sort of decide based on, you know, I decide on whether rugby league wins or not. Such a cliche. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's my answer for that one. All right, I'm going to go one more question, guys. I think this is all I've got time for. This could be a long one. All right. This one's about a real, it's about the COVID hangover, I suppose. So, Mundalism, at Mundalism. Hello, thanks for your question. 2020 was shaping up as the biggest year of International Rugby League. Given we've already lost the Wolfpack, how far do you think COVID has or will set back expansion of the game but at both club and international level? All right, what a way to end. What a cracking question. Thank you for it, uh, Mundalism. Um, all right, so it's a good one. How far has or will it set back? At both those levels. So let's look at what, let's look at some of the casualties of COVID, right? So Toronto Wolfpack's the big one at a club level, massive. Like that has set the that has set Canadian rugby league back massively. I don't think it's dead. There are so many great people on the ground. Like I've said, it's just going to be harder for those people. And I see, I see a semi-pro or eventually one day a professional North American league happening, right? And I think Wolfpack was the start of that. Um, it's just going to be harder to get there now. But look, there are, there are you never know. There are there are some great people out there and some good things happening. So that has definitely impacted rugby league in Canada, North America, definitely. All right, not having the Wolfpack there. That's a major blow, major setback. But the seeds are still there, so that's fine. From from a club perspective, elsewhere like NRL, um, you know strong as ever no impact the only impact might be maybe expansion will happen slow, slower uh, we put a pause on growing the NRLW but next year that's set to expand in terms of at least in terms of um, in terms of games played if not teams but there are a number of teams looking to enter so in terms of that I think it's been more of a pause Super League a little bit more difficult uh, a lot of clubs hanging by a string apparently uh, and of course we've seen Toronto exit but they will survive they've just signed a new TV deal worth less than what it was but look they'll survive over there I think um, and in terms of clubs in like other like I'm speaking to a lot of people from a lot of clubs in competitions around the world what they've all kind of said to me and it's pretty unanimous uh, what they've all said to me is that yeah, the players want to play, and it's been difficult having to pause this year, and a lot of competitions didn't happen. But it's given the administration a lot of time to reflect 
plan and move forward so that a lot of them are in a better position to really make things happen in 2021. And that's pretty exciting. So, you know, without the stuff happening on the field, they've been able to focus on the field. So, again, while we've seen a pause in play, I think we're actually going to see um, some acceleration in momentum from 2021 onwards. We've got some hungry administrators, hungry players, hungry coaches, and hungry fans. So I think on a club level, apart from the Wolfpack, it's a pause and let's get on with it and let's make this thing, let's make our sport bigger and better than ever. From an international level, there's certainly been some casualties in terms of tournaments. Kangaroo Tour was meant to happen, it didn't. That had massive implications on marketing for the World Cup. Like That was going to really put shine a spotlight on International Rugby League in the UK in the year before a World Cup, and that was huge. First Kangaroo Tour in a long time. Uh, a lot of the, you know, your Cameron Smiths, your Billy Slaters, Cooper Cronks, all retiring, Jonathan Thurston recently. So it was a new crop of, of stars coming through. It was going to give... You know, the English fans some exposure to your Tedescos and people like that that are really coming through and making a name for themselves, the future stars of the game. Uh, that would have been really exciting. That didn't happen. Um, Oceana Cup didn't happen, uh, which is really disappointing. We don't get to springboard off the success of Tonga. Tonga's been incredible. We haven't seen them for, for the last 12 months. You know, we haven't seen New Zealand for the last 12 months. These are important rivalries. Fiji versus Papua New Guinea. Samoa. Uh, as well, like these are important rivalries that have paused. MEA Championship, pause. Euro Championship, you know, I spoke earlier of Turkey versus Netherlands. There's there's four divisions worth of European nations ready to go, didn't get that opportunity, pause. That's not going to happen again until 2022 or 2023 now. Um, the, the American Championship, the America's Championship as well, you know, Jamaica wanting to defend their title. USA, hungry. Canada, hungry. Chile, coming back for the second time. Paused. That didn't get to happen. You know, so we've seen, we've seen a lot of paused opportunities on the international level. Um, and that's, that's a shame because we've missed some great exposure, some great, some great matchups and opportunities to build on some good rivalries, especially in the lead-up to a World Cup year. Now, I think... More than anything, it's set us back a year. To go back to the original question, how far has it set us back? It's set us back a year. We're just on pause. Everything is on pause. That's all it is, really. Um, the big thing is going to be, will this World Cup happen next year? I think it will. Everything points to yes. The only thing is there might not be crowds, uh, or there might be half-capacity crowds. But we don't know what the, year, the world's going to look like. But, as I say, big important, some important things need to happen between now and that 2021 World Cup. A, the World Cup needs to happen. That's really important. B, we need to start seeing some more international games. A lot of, we spoke earlier, El Salvador, Peru, Brazil, Uruguay. There's na nations in Europe. They've got to start playing early in early um, early in the early year. We need to see, you know, New Zealand and Tonga have a test. We need to see England have a test, like play France. We need to see things in the lead up to this World Cup that build up to this World Cup. The World Cup needs to happen. It's important. But what's important as well is we need to start announcing what happens next. We need to know very, very soon, you know, it's been it's less than a year to the World Cup now. We need an announcement on where that 2025 World Cup is going to be. We need to know if we're going to have a Nines World Cup in 2023. And we need to get some announcements on, you know, some New Zealand Tongas or some Kangaroo Tours or some, some, U some England France. We need to get 
some things set in concrete so that the pause that we've had, you know, we don't have we don't have a hangover after the pause. We need to be ready to go, ready to run as soon as we can. And um, I hope that answers your question. And I want to thank everyone for their questions. I always get so many great questions. And keep them coming if you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or, or Twitter. DM me anytime. Always happy to chat. I might not get back to you straight away. Sometimes I will. Uh, sometimes I won't. But always happy to chat rugby league and especially international rugby league and development. So follow us, ask your questions, and uh, you never know. You might Your question might pop up on an Ask Carbs episode in the future. But I just want to thank all of you for asking your questions. If I didn't answer your question on this, I'm sorry. But ask me again on the DMs. I'll try and answer it in writing. And uh, guys, that's about it. I'll be back next week. Big T will be back next week. Andrew Dixon, the original Wolfpack player, will be, will be with us next week as well. So have a great week. Hopefully St. Helens got up in the grand final. I won't know at time of recording, but you will know by the time you're listening to this. Uh, yeah, have an awesome week. See you next time. And thank you for chasing kangaroos with me.